Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men Monkey Off My Backlog second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is the Vanessa to my Wade, Sam. You lived in a house? Last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we're raising the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. This is Episode 8, 2016's Deadpool. So Sam, we've already talked about all our holiday plans. I don't want to get into it some more. So why don't you tell the story about the first time that you saw Deadpool with me? Think back. Think back to a simpler time. It was February of... 2016, our country, our world wasn't about to die in a huge fire of idiocy. Instead, we went to theaters in February to see a giant pile of idiocy that was Deadpool. It was, if you'll recall, Valentine's Day. What you might not know is this was our first Valentine's Day. That's right. Our first Valentine's Day was spent with Wade Wilson. And frankly, is there a better way to spend Valentine's Day than with Wade Wilson? I'll wait. The best part about this story is that when it was coming around, I already had Deadpool tickets because we had just gotten together in January. And Sam was like, do we want to do anything special for Valentine's Day? Like you could tell he was sort of feeling it out, seeing how important Valentine's Day was to me. You know, was he going to have to go overboard? You know, what was the situation here? And I was like, I don't know what you're doing for Valentine's Day, but me and my best friend are going to Deadpool. You can come if you want. And I did. Although, I would like the record to show that there is exactly one of us in this relationship who wants flowers and candy. And it's me. I mean, I smuggled bean burritos into the theater for us. What more do you want? I feel like you had not ascended to champion bit committer yet, because had you had done that, they wouldn't have been burritos. They would have been chimichangas. You didn't even know that about Deadpool yet when you first watched this movie. Doesn't matter, still count. Before we talk about Deadpool, though, because it'll just be the two of us, let's talk about what we're going to do next year, because it's become a tradition. I mean, as far as you can have a tradition with only two annual marathons. Is it a tradition next year when we've had three? What makes a tradition? How many times do you have to do something before it's a tradition? I think you have to do a thing as many times for it to be a tradition as it does for it to be insanity. What's the difference between tradition and insanity? I don't know. Visit your family for Christmas and let me know. It's your turn to choose, Sam. What are some of the things you're thinking about for next year's holiday marathon? So, there are three categories. Category one, franchise. As you know, our first series that we did for Monkey was Fast and Furious. This is, of course, the Fox X-Men. Both are film franchises. So, what film franchise? The obvious answer is the Star Wars. Keep in mind, we're talking about 8 to 10 episodes. So, Star Wars fits the bill, the Mothership, episodes 1 through 9. Option 2 is the holiday option, where we don't do a franchise or a series of connected movies other than connected by the holidays, where we select 8 to 10 holiday films by some sort of criteria. Films that the other hasn't seen before, Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies, they're just set at Christmas, that kind of thing. The third option is the auteur option. You've heard us do episodes on Wong Kar Wai and Paul Thomas Anderson. We're going to give you another auteur episode very soon. So we could expand on that and do 8 to 10 days of a specific director for next year's limited series. Alfred Hitchcock, for example. So those are the three options. 
If you are listening and you would like to tell us which one of these options to do or which what we could do within those options, please tweet at us at Monkey Backlog. I guess this is probably also a good time to mention that we will call your bluff, which is why in 2022 we will also be having guest assigns episodes. So we really do appreciate the feedback. Let's get into this film. So. This film is based on the Deadpool comics. It reintroduces us to Wade Wilson, who was originally introduced in Wolverine Origins, although this movie completely ignores that. So we get Wade Wilson, the merc with a mouth. Wade finds true love with Vanessa, a sex worker, only to discover that he has cancer and a very short time to live. In a desperate attempt to heal himself to stay with Vanessa, he enrolls in an experimental project only to discover that Ajax, the project head, is injecting patients with a serum designed to trigger mutation in the face of pain and trauma. After a lot of torture, including one that permanently disfigures him, Wade's mutation finally activates, allowing his body to automatically heal anything, including his cancer. Wade burns the facility to the ground and begins a manhunt for Ajax, trying to reverse his disfigurement, donning the familiar red and black Deadpool costume. What were your first thoughts on this film, Sam? Preface to my first thoughts on the film. We had this conversation, and we had it about this movie, and I know we're going to have it about Logan as well. X-Men Origins didn't happen, right? Because I know from Deadpool 2 that this is in the same universe as the other X-Men movies. We know that because we're told that in Deadpool 2, which has a really great sight gag, which I'll talk about when the time comes, that I'm really disappointed they didn't follow through on. But Days of Future Past resets the timeline, including when the Alkali Lake Weapon X thingamadoo happened. So X-Men Origins doesn't exist anymore. So this is like... Again, that's also a spoiler for Deadpool 2. There's nothing to retcon, right? Because it's already done been retconned. Is that, am I right? Is that anything? You are absolutely correct. So what Days of Future Past gave us was a complete reset of Weapon X, which I guess it gets further explored in Apocalypse, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But yeah, it's been completely reset. Wade Wilson is no longer part of Team X. So we get a completely different origin story for Deadpool here. Now, the only reference that we get to the alternate timeline seems to be that Deadpool knows that there's an alternate timeline in which his character's mouth was sewn shut. And there's a lot of jokes, obviously, at Wolverine Origins' expense. If I think back to the things that I knew about Deadpool in 2016, it would be A, foul mouth, B, Fourth wall breaker. There's lots of fourth wall breaking in this. And I mean, even though it's been retconned, he's aware of that. He's also aware that there are two Professor X's. He makes that that reference to which one? Stuart or McAvoy? I can never keep the timeline straight. So I got that. I got those jokes. Those jokes landed. And that's really what stuck with me. Those were my initial thoughts on the movie was this was very well done. It was funny. It did the things that I knew Deadpool needed to do. And judging from others' reactions, it did that as well for them. So I think we all walked out of the movie happy. Both me and my friend, who my friend is probably more familiar with Deadpool in the comics than I am. I know she was very happy with this. I was very happy with this. This viewing was the third time I had seen it, and I was wondering if it would stand up to my initial love of this. And I I have thoughts. I think it ultimately does, but I do have some thoughts about this film. Let's talk about the structure of this film. As I was putting together my notes, it took me a while to think about what I wanted to talk about, because if you think about the plot of this film, it's very straightforward. It is not a complex plot. It is literally Wade Wilson finds love, gets sick, becomes a mutant, goes out for revenge, finds his love again. It it is not a complex plot, and part of that has to do with the lower budget for this film, which I'm sure we will talk about why that is when we get to the astonishing facts and uncanny stats. The interesting thing they do about this film is that they start 
in media risks, right? We get the first scene with the credits is literally a freeze frame in the middle of a fight, right? With Angel of the Morning playing over it with those like sarcastic little credits of the writers, the real heroes here, et cetera, et cetera. And then we get voiceover telling us, oh, I bet you wonder how I got here, you know? And then we get earlier in the fight. And as we go along, we get these flashbacks earlier and earlier into the story. What did you think about the nonlinear storytelling here? So I, I want to, if, if I can, take another crack at the plot summary. <laughs> boy meets girl. Boy gets cancer. Boy volunteers for secret program that's actually a assassin brainwashing program. Boy becomes Deadpool. Boy is worried that his disfigured face will keep him from being happy with girl. Hijinks ensue. Girl is mad at boy for assuming something that was stupid. Girl slaps boy happily ever after. Is that about it? That's very simplistic. So it's 2016. We can't just do that. So they, they remixed, as you mentioned, the, this plot into a nonlinear storyline. But it, it's not about the plot. It can't be about the plot. If this movie relied on a plot to be good, it would suck. Which is part of the problem with Deadpool 2, I think, although we haven't rewatched it yet. I imagine that's the problem. This movie doesn't need a plot to work. It just needs for Deadpool to be done correctly. And fortunately, Ryan Reynolds has been trying to make that happen for years and years and years. And he had a good amount of control over this film. So they put the structure together in a way that served the character, not the story. And that is the most successful thing about the film. And of course, the weakest thing about the film is if you try to think about it from a plot perspective. Ryan Reynolds and director Tim Miller and writers Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick were trying to make this film for over a decade before it finally got made. So there is obviously a lot of intention and love put into this character. Ryan Reynolds, I'm so glad that they gave him a second crack at this character to do it the way that he wanted to do it. He's a clear fan of the comics, and he is definitely the draw of this film, is the way he acts this character. Would you describe this film as a romantic comedy? I would. If you take out the murder <laughs> and the mutants and the... No, I guess if you just take those two things out, it's clearly a romantic comedy. Assassins fall in love and they do fun stuff. Fun stuff for them is killing people. I mean, whom's among us? Not that complicated. So this seems like a good time to talk about Vanessa, who is played by Monica Baccarin, who many of you will know from Firefly. Their relationship is really central to this plot, even though we don't actually see her that much, which might be a reason for something that happens at the beginning of Deadpool 2. What did you think of Vanessa? She is a sex worker, which the film seems very morally ambiguous about, which I'm okay with. They're very positive about her and her sexuality and the ways in which she interacts with Deadpool, especially there's like a really long sex scene. Well, it's like an extended series of sex scenes at the beginning of the film showing their relationship growing. It was supposed to just be one night, but it ends up being like this year before they find out that he has cancer. She was really good in this role. I do enjoy that they constantly keep trying to one-up each other about who has the worst childhood. That's a fun game. It's exactly what you imagine Deadpool's soulmate to be. I mean, death, right, is the other one, right? That's who he's in with in the comics. That would be fun, too. But I really enjoyed this character. I liked her. This character in the comics is actually a mutant named Copycat. They don't explore that here, and I don't think they explore it in Deadpool 2, from what I remember. Do you think there's a chance that we'll actually get to see her play copycat? I don't know. It, it's hard to know what Disney's going to do. On Monkey, we like to occasionally give notes to studios. And I think the largest note that we can give Disney is take the good ones and leave everybody else behind. I believe they have read the memo about Ryan Reynolds, and it does sound like a Deadpool 3 is going to happen. They would be wise to bring over. I can't think of a single character that I wouldn't want them to bring over. Maybe Colossus, 
but why not? That was actually a good characterization of Colossus. I would be disappointed. I think this is the biggest cast they could port over. And they, they could explore this, this copycat thing. But they won't because they make bad decisions. I really almost wish they would have explored that because as much as I like Vanessa and as much as I think they do a good job of portraying her as someone who is Wade Wilson's equal and she is his soulmate, she has that same twisted sense of humor, the same sexuality as Deadpool. They don't give her a lot to do. I would have liked if she had her own arc, even if it was her own arc in the next movie, which we'll talk about when we get to that movie. So I would be interested in knowing if that was a way forward for this character. Let's talk about the fact that this is the first X film to be rated R. It is not the only X film to be rated R. We're going to talk about Logan here in two days. Ryan Reynolds especially was very insistent. This character is violent. He's foul-mouthed. He's irreverent. He takes shots at everybody. Do you think this was a good decision? Putting a cap on the Wade and Vanessa love story, and then answering your question, it took an R-rated X-Men movie to get the following line. I swear to God, I'm going to find you in the next life, and I'm going to boombox careless whisper outside your window. Wham! All the R movies then. If that's, if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes to get that, you rate them all R if you want. Rate them NC-17. Rate them not fit for human consumption. <laughs> Just give me the jokes, man. We rate the movies PG, PG-13 tops, because we want the children's to see it, right? We want the children's money, which is not the children's money. It's actually the parents' money. But really, it's sad that we have to compromise storytelling for the children's money, which is really the parents' money. We would go see these movies. Well, I mean, maybe we wouldn't go see them anymore because you know what you did, theaters. You know, it just seems like this was the first time we see them not compromising. I'm going to tell the story the way it should be told, and ratings be... Literally, you can say that in an R movie, just not on this podcast. So I, I think it's great. I think it's great. And it's not just the violence. It's what you can do when you don't have to worry about censoring yourself. You get wham jokes. I think you should have more wham jokes. Right. And I guess that leads me into my other question, which is the humor of Deadpool, which we get to see on full display here. He is a dark character. I mean, he is a merc with a mouth. He is chaotic neutral at best. I mean, he is a mercenary at the beginning of the film. We see him doing a good deed, right? He helps a girl with her stalker. But he is someone who will kill or do violence against people for money. That continues to be true even after he dons the Deadpool suit, even though he's in pursuit of his own personal vendetta at that point. But the humor is so dark. It keeps coming. There doesn't seem to be anything that is beyond being made fun of by him. He can't help himself. Even when Ajax is literally torturing him for snapping back at him, he cannot help making jokes at Ajax's expense. I mean, it's a very special person who cannot help talking back when presented with mortal danger. Hi, it's me. And I also think that I can imagine a lot of the complaints about this movie because there was a lot of very crude humor of a, of a sexual nature. Now, I don't like crude humor involving, let's just say, bodily fluids that aren't blood. Okay, I just don't like vomit. Okay, I don't like it. I draw the line there. Scatological humor is not my favorite either, but the point is, if you make those jokes, I just don't have to watch your movie. I can imagine that a lot of people took umbrage with the, the sex humor. First of all, people actually talk that way. That's real. And if you don't think it's real, good for you. Shut up and go see another movie. But Tessa, do you remember the joke from the movie that you cannot have in any movie that isn't rated R that almost made me fall out of my seat in the theater. Do you remember? It was the Judy Bloom joke. I, I don't think anyone else laughed at it because the audience skewed younger. It's such a good joke if you get it. I just love it so much. It's such a perfect joke. There is a lot of blood spurting in this movie coming out 
And during one particular incident, he says, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. It's so funny. Judy Bloom, ladies and gentlemen, teaching people about their bodies and, and adolescence and puberty and what it means to grow up. My, my personal favorite is still the one where Colossus shows up and, and he's just like, this, I didn't do all of this. And, and the guy falls out of, the, out of the overpass and he's like, he was up there before I got here. That is, that is definitely one of my favorites. Obviously, we thought most of this humor was hilarious. It obviously is going to work for some people, but not other people. My question for you is, is that there is one joke that does not land. And it probably shouldn't have landed in 2016, which is a quasi-transphobic joke at Gina Carano's expense, which is actually kind of hilarious in context. My question for you is, should anything be off limits for Deadpool as a character? He's supposed to be wildly irreverent, but knowing that Deadpool in the comics is pansexual, should he be punching up more than he's punching down, I guess? Or is Deadpool just a character that gets to punch at everything? I mean, it's funny in context if you know that Gina Carano is a terrible person who's also very transphobic, and so having a transphobic joke lobbed at her could be construed as funny. But if you take it at face value, should there be transphobic jokes in movies? Well, short answer, no. Longer answer number one is, you go back and you think about racist or homophobic jokes from like the 80s or 90s and before. They're not funny now. They're, they're not, they don't land in the same way. And there's a lot of argument about, well, I mean, you have to think about the context of the time. Sure, racist jokes were okay. Homophobic jokes were okay. It doesn't mean they're okay now or ever. But yeah, so far as it goes, I do appreciate that. There's a lot to be said for... So you take Eddie Murphy, for instance, and just says, some of these jokes were ignorant. I shouldn't have made them. It's not okay to make a joke at somebody's expense. It's not okay to punch down. Now, you could argue that Deadpool is exempt from that, and he might be, but movie makers aren't. And so you can't really hide behind the character. But what you can do is say, yeah, that was bad. Sorry. And as long as you mean sorry, I don't, I think that's about as good as it can be. So I had a long answer number two, but I kind of forgot it somewhere during long answer number one. So bottom line, don't do it. But if you do, apologize for it later and then don't do it again. And this raises all sorts of questions. You know, comedians would tell you that you can make jokes about anything and you can, right? You, you absolutely can make a joke about anything. But you can't make any joke about anything. You still have to consider, you know, and we call this punching up versus punching down. This is clearly a punching down moment. And I think that Deadpool could have a better joke. Look, Deadpool's a meta character. He could have made a joke about how Gina Carano is a terrible person. He might in Deadpool 3. Tessa reminded me as we were watching the movie that Deadpool is pansexual. I kind of think. I might be wrong about this. I'd have to think about it more. But I think that joke might work if Deadpool is foregrounded as a pansexual character that he is, who genuinely doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. He's down with the trans community. And by down, I mean, has like, you know, been there and had a good time and actually respects people who are sexually liberated, not to say that all trans people are, but I mean, like, there's a lot of character foregrounding work that could have been done that might make this joke okay. Now, that's not going to happen in this movie, but that was long answer number two. The joke can work, I think, under a very narrow set of circumstances that this film is not ready to invest in, although it should have partially invested in it, right? That's the one thing about the character that seems to have been left on the comic book page, sort of. Yeah, I think there's a reference to his pansexuality in Deadpool 2, which we'll talk about, but that has been a major complaint of a lot of queer comic book readers, is that this movie wants to wink at us that Deadpool is this sexually liberated potentially pansexual character, but it doesn't actually want to confirm any of it. It doesn't want to talk about 
his pansexuality in any meaningful way. And that doesn't mean he can't be with Vanessa, right? Because pansexual people can be with whoever they want. And it doesn't mean that they're not pansexual. But it does mean that we should be having these conversations, right? It means that we should be in some meaningful way talking about his pansexuality and how in the comics he legit does not care. Weird that a comic book superhero movie could invite us to have nuanced conversations about sex, sexual orientation, and gender. Weird. It's almost like in superhero movies, everything doesn't have to go boom, ka-ching. It's an R-rated movie, but it's more comfortable with blood than it is with talking about sexuality, which I think is a Fox problem. It's also going to be a Disney problem. It is already a Disney problem. Yeah, unless they're talking about Judy Bloom. Before we get to the talk about the, the characters, my last question for you has to do with lower budget superhero movies. So this was the first X film slash comic book film to be rated R. It has a much lower budget, which I'm sure you'll get into when we talk about the uncanny stats. And part of that's because Fox was really unsure that this movie was going to work. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too, about why some of those things are. But they basically told Ryan Reynolds, okay, you can make this movie, but we're not giving you a lot of money to make it. How does this compare with some of the bigger budgets that we've seen in past X-Men films? Actually, I don't want to compare it to a bigger budget film. I want to compare it to... And this is a spoiler alert because I've run the numbers on Logan and I've seen the comparisons between Logan and Deadpool. In terms of return on investment, which is the money you spent on the film and the money you get back from theaters, Deadpool is a far more successful film, which we'll talk a little bit about today and a little bit about when we talk about Logan. The point here is, This movie was never going to make as much as some of the bigger X films, although it actually did. That's the funny thing. It wasn't supposed to make as much money as some of the bigger X movies in the Mothership franchise, but it totally did. And there's a lesson to be learned here. As it turns out, you make a movie that people genuinely want to see, not the movie you think they want to see. As somebody who has taught thousands of college freshmen and high school students over the years, the thing I always say is, don't write what you think I, the teacher, wants you to write. You write something that connects with an audience, which is why you have to imagine your audience, think about what they want, and give it to them. In this movie, Tim Miller and Ryan Reynolds and friends understood, and to paraphrase a song prominently featured in this movie, X gonna give it to him. I will say, the lower budget obviously affects the scope of this film, but I, I personally think that's a good thing. I've been on record saying that some of the best superhero films are not the ones that are about saving the world, or sky beams, or intense CGI battles. A lot of them are very personal. They're very low stakes in terms of world saving, although the stakes are pretty high for Deadpool and Vanessa. The idea here is is that there's one villain. It's Ajax. He's trying to mess with Wade, and Wade is trying to mess with him back. And there are some really great action sequences. I think that when you get rid of a lot of the CGI, you have to rely on good action You have to rely on good character work, and I think that that works for this film. There is a bit of CGI in this film, though, and it's in the form of Colossus, who is a character we have met before. This version of the character is much older than the one that we saw in Last Stand and X2. He's voiced by Stefan Kapishik. He is mostly CGI, and so he's voiced by this actor, You mentioned him very briefly before. He is really our big tie into the rest of the X-Men universe. We see him at the X-Mansion with another new character. And of course, Deadpool says, it's really funny how I only see the two of you. It's almost like we couldn't afford any of the other X-Men, which is a joke about the budget and about the X-Men universe at large. All right. Voice acting's fine. I like how they actually got the nationality of the character correct this time. Of course... Even I know that Colossus has a sister, not pictured. So it'd be really cool if the payoff, now that the sister exists, 
although they're going to retcon the hell out of that movie. It'd be great to see them together. But here's my pitch. We put Grimace himself, Thanos, and Apocalypse, Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2, and Colossus in their own movie, and then I go watch something else. I don't care about CGI characters. I don't care. Thanos was better than the others, but I don't care. I don't care. Let me just say it one more time. I don't care. So I don't care about Colossus. It's good. It's fine. I don't care. I'm not invested in him at all. And that's why. I mean, he seems almost more like a plot point than a character because the whole point of him is to be a foil for Deadpool, right? He's supposed to be the upstanding goody two-shoes Boy Scout X-Men that keeps being exasperated with Deadpool and keeps trying to be like, why can't you be a superhero? Why can't you be an X-Men? Whereas Deadpool is just off doing his own thing. He's supposed to be the lawful good to X-Men's chaotic neutral. And as we always know, Scott Summers, those characters are boring. As you point out, yeah, these X characters are only there as plot foils, as character foils, as aluminum foils for Deadpool. Except here's the thing. What happens sometimes when you throw random characters in in this way, they really land. I love Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I want her. I want that actor. I want this version of that character in more movies. I don't care that she's there as a foil and has no real role in the movie. Because again, as I said before, it doesn't matter that this movie has about the third of a normal story. I don't care because it's a good movie. And she's part of that. And her Twitter account is too. So Negasonic Teenage Warhead, who's played brilliantly, as you pointed out, by Brianna Hildebrand, she is the other X character. And you're right, she is a foil. If Colossus is the goody two-shoes X-Men, she's the, I am completely over what, whatever you're doing teenager, right? Like she is basically an eye roll at Deadpool, which I think Deadpool needs. I think Deadpool as a character is great and he's definitely the id. He's the the anti-social person. He's the anti-establishment person, but he also needs a character to eye roll at him. So this happens a lot to me. When I spend a lot of time around any kind of group of people, it can be in a class, it can be a friend group, and there's one person who does not laugh. I need laughs. I tell jokes I need laughs. I'm like a shark that way. I'll die if you don't laugh. The, the thing that I really like about this character interaction is Deadpool acts like he doesn't care. He tries to match her, you know, cool distance with his own cool distance, but it's killing him. And so at the very end, when she actually, like, breaks, he's like, I did it! I did it! There's the approval I needed! Yeah, same. Yeah, it seems really genuine when she finally says, you're pretty cool. He is, like, so happy! He's not being sarcastic at all when he's, like, responding to her. And he immediately ruins it. And she's like, oh, my God. I think that he does crave her approval. She also does have the coolest X name. I'm just going to throw that out there. Negasonic Teenage Warhead is the coolest X name. Unfortunately, we get a couple of problematic actors in this. We didn't know they were problematic at the time, but we have Weasel, who's played by TJ Miller, who is the bar owner. We also have Angel Dust, who's played by Gina Carano. Half of the Silicon Valley leads have now been in Marvel movies because, of course, Kumail was in The Eternals. I want to know when Freaks and Geeks alum Martin Starr will be in the Marvel Universe and whomst he will play. That's all I have to say. It is a little bit disappointing that TJ Miller was not booted for Deadpool 2 because we did know about his issues before that, his, his crimes, they are actually crimes, before Deadpool 2 came out. He does an okay job, I think. If we're just going to judge on acting talent, he does fine. He's supposed to be the same kind of irreverent witty as Deadpool. He just kind of comes off as a shallow imitation. IMDb is informing me that Martin Starr is actually in Far From Home. So, my bad, Martin. I'm sorry. By the way, 
we talked about this earlier with comedians apologizing for bad humor. I mean, crimes are crimes. I, I do understand that. But there is a lot to be said for a real apology and a real change in behavior. And the actor we're talking about has not done that. Neither has his other co-star, who is also not mentioned here from Silicon Valley. Like, two of them were not great. And then there's Kumail and Martin Starr, who, as far as I know, are both okay. And Gina Carano has also not apologized for her behavior, but the difference is she got kicked off her show. What do we think about the villain played by Ed Screen, Ajax, a.k.a. Francis? I hope you're not terribly surprised or disappointed when I say I don't care. He was fine. He was an appropriate villain for Deadpool. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say about him either. I mean, it's a fine performance. It works for this film. I don't need somebody to be more theatrical in the face of Deadpool, who is like the most theatrical of the X-Men characters. So yeah, I I agree with you. It's fine. Although I did find the Ajax Francis joke to be pretty funny, how he kept calling him Francis. The last character that I want to talk about is Blind Al, who's played by Leslie Uggams. Blind Al is Deadpool's roommate, who is played by a black woman. He meets her in a laundromat. She seems also completely over him, much like Negasonic Teenage Warhead. What did you think about the Ikea jokes? How they kept talking about Ikea furniture and referring to them by their Swedish names, and she's trying to put together one that immediately falls apart? I mean, is that an operator error, or is that Ikea? I think the film leaves that up to interpretation. I think she's fun. I almost wish we did get more of her. Like, I'd be interested in her inner life. She seems completely over Deadpool, but she still has him as a roommate. I like when she's like, that's all the guns, and he's like, hand it over, and she pulls out the last gun. Let's move on to astonishing facts, and this may not astonish you. Most of them are about Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds has been trying to get this to happen since 2004, since before X-Men Wolverine Origins. This film only happened because of some mysterious leaks of test footage in 2014, which both Ryan Reynolds and Tim Miller swear that the other person did. I personally think it was Ryan Reynolds. I think he was tired of Fox leading them on. Fox saying, yeah, this is going to happen. Oh, Green Lantern didn't do well. Maybe we won't do it. Oh, X-Men Wolverine Origins didn't do well. Maybe we won't do it. He finally leaked some test footage of that first fight scene. People loved it online. And so Fox finally was forced to give them a bit of a budget to make this film. Deadpool only makes pre-1990 musical references in the film. We didn't talk about the soundtrack of this film very much. I'm never going to dance again. Guilty feet have got no rhythm. Though it's easy to to pretend, I know you're not a fool. What did you think of the soundtrack of this film? There's a lot of like 80s hip hop. There's a lot of wham, as you pointed out. No notes. I love it. I mean, he only makes the 80s references and before, which is great to me. But I, I do think, as I've mentioned before, the exhibit song, which ends up being the theme of the entire character, is, is also perfect. Like they just did a great job here. Captain Deadpool. No, nope, just just Deadpool. just Deadpool. The Deadpool costume originally had a muscle layer underneath it, but it had to be removed because Ryan Reynolds was so muscular. The costume was not only too tight for him, but it made him look overly large for the character. Facts. Fox would not pay for writers Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick to be on set, so Ryan Reynolds actually paid out of pocket for them to be on set and to consult for the film because he believed in their teamwork for this film so much. And I don't actually think that's the studio not having faith in Deadpool. I just don't think they're used to paying for writers. Oh! Oh! Got him. You got him. Oh, that was good. You burned him. That was a good joke. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds has says that there are over 100 references throughout the entire film, including Easter eggs, pop culture references, cameos, and direct hits at other Marvel films. We obviously didn't count them. Do you think that's an accurate number? I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of them hit me straight in the face. As you pointed out, I almost died during that Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret joke. <laughs> I don't think that landed in the theater. We were there on opening night. It flew right over other people's heads and then gave me a nosebleed. It hit me so hard, like, which is kind of the joke, I guess, but... I don't know how many I got. I know that I got different jokes than other people did. That is one particular example. 
But I'm sure there are jokes that people who are more familiar with the comics got that I didn't. Which, by the way, you don't have to appeal to all audiences. I keep saying this. You don't have to keep making these movies that are bland and have no sense of palate. You don't have to do that. You don't have to think, well, I'm making this meal for a thousand people. Better make it taste like nothing. And that will not disappoint anybody. No, it'll disappoint everybody. We know this because we've all seen X-Men 3 The Last Stand. (laughs) We've all seen Wolverine Origins. When you try to please everybody, you please nobody. You cannot please everybody. You cannot do that. Now, I know what you're thinking. The other Ryan pleases everybody, right? No, I don't like him. Ryan Reynolds is the only Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Ryan Johnson. We're not talking about him. I'm talking about the other one. You know, Notebook, La La Land. I don't care about him. You will never please everybody. But the jokes in Deadpool show that you can please a variety of people. What would you say to people who say that pop culture references don't age well in film? Well, Tessa, you might know that I, that I teach, write, research, etc., young adult lit. And so the major knock against young adult lit, and I struggle with this, I teach young adult lit as a literature class, as an upper-level class for a major. In not just the program I'm in, but in many, many other programs, it does not count as a course that will meet an essential part of the major, either having to do with time period or some other thing. It's usually an elective. It's not even given the respect within English departments. It is a live type of writing. It's alive. It moves. It changes. That's the positive spin on it. The negative spin is it's ephemeral. It's here, then it's gone. It will not have the staying power of Charles Dickens. The dude who was paid by the words that he wrote and just pumped stories out in the papers. That dude. Young Adult Lit will not be as longevitudinous as what he wrote. Or Shakespeare, that hacky dude who stole from other people and just cobbled together cool Words that didn't mean anything until he decided to make them so. That guy, right? That's the knock. It's the same thing about pop culture. Oh, it's nobody's going to talk about Olivia Rodrigo 10 years from now. Well, maybe not. You jerk. (laughs) I hate you. That's my response. I hate you. That was a long walk to get to I hate you. No, no, no. I'm I'm not done yet. So yeah, it is a long walk to get to I hate you. The point is, all I hate yous should be the culmination of long walks. You know, racism, homophobia, transphobia, that is a short walk to I hate you. That's lazy. <laughs> I did the work. I strapped on my hiking boots and got my little walking stick and like hiked across the mountain range and then ended up with I hate you because I put the work in. You didn't. I hate you. One of those cameos, sort of, and Easter eggs takes the form of direct shots at the character of Wolverine. There's a really, really funny moment at the end where we have Hugh Jackman's face stapled onto (laughs) onto Deadpool's face. And what's funny is that Deadpool seems both aware of Wolverine as a character, but also of Hugh Jackman as the actor because he's making fun of Hugh Jackman's Australian accent, which Wolverine, of course, does not have an Australian accent. The astonishing fact here is that Hugh Jackman actually greatly supported Ryan Reynolds in making this film. They have their like very funny quasi feud on social media, but Hugh Jackman was actually really instrumental in getting this film made as well. The final astonishing fact is that the working title of this film was Wham. There are a lot of Wham references in this film, which you have talked about both musically and of course in the dialogue. I'm going to turn it over to you, our resident Wham expert. I'm not going to take a lot of time here. I just want to say one thing. Because it's Christmas, and at Christmas, you should tell people how you feel. There have been two great Stand the Test of Time Christmas songs in the entirety of the time I've been alive. One of them is, of course, the greatest Christmas song of all time. 
Get out of the way, Bing Crosby. Nobody likes you. You're dead. It's Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. But the second greatest in a list of two. This is the end of the list. This is the worst best Christmas song of the last 42 years. And probably longer. Wham's Last Christmas. That's it. I mean, the fact is, George Michael has a seminal place in pop culture, and and we love him for it. I love him for it. Ryan Reynolds loves him for it. If we ever meet, we will most assuredly talk about our love for George Michael. And do you agree with Deadpool that Make It Big is the album in which Wham earned the exclamation point? All right, fine. You want me to talk about Make It Big? I'll talk about Make It Big. (laughs) I do have, as you know, we have my my mom's vinyl that she bought at the record bar when the album came out. I've listened to this album a lot. It starts with Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. It ends with Careless Whisper. I should have to tell you nothing else about this record for you to know that they earned that exclamation point fair and square. There is one and only one stinker on this album. I can't even remember it. I want to say we had this discussion with Nigel. Some We had this discussion with a guest. It, I, it, I feel like it was Nigel. And somebody finally supplied, I think it's like a baby or something like that. It's just this, God, it's the, it's the lady in my life from Thriller for this album. There's one song that keeps this album and Thriller, by the way, from being a perfect album. So, like, it's just so good. The second track is Everything She Wants, which was my mom's favorite song, so I've heard that more than any other song. And there's a song called Freedom on it. So if you've ever wondered why the hit song from George Michael from, was it 90? It was 90 or 91. Freedom, no, it's from 1990, obviously, because the song's called Freedom 90. If you've ever wondered why it's called Freedom 90, it's a response to the song on Make It Big called Freedom. That man was a galaxy brain, okay? You just aren't cool enough to understand it. Now, I'm not cool enough to understand it. I just understand parts of it. Anytime I think about this movie, the immediate image that comes to mind is the scene where he's sitting on the overpass, swinging his legs, listening to Shoop on the little handheld radio while he's drawing in crayon the picture of him killing Francis. That is the thing that actually sticks into my mind. Shoop is a great song. It was perfect for this scene. I'm sorry, I have one more thing to say about Wham. Andrew Ridgely, if you are listening to this podcast, I don't know why, but hi, you're half of Wham. You're cool. Also, you should be in Deadpool 3. I'm sure he's called you. He's had to have called you. If it's not, he didn't have your right number. I don't know what the problem is. But like, dude, if you're listening to this, First of all, we'd love to have you on the podcast. I, I just think you did great work. I'm, 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 I, I, uh, I have no words. It's just awesome. But second, please be in Deadpool 3. So I'm just going to segue directly into Uncanny Stats. For the purposes of comparison, while we're doing the Uncanny Stats, I am going to compare this film to the previous Wolverine film, The Wolverine. When we talk about Logan, I'll compare it to this movie. The Wolverine. Directed by James Mangold, the one set in Japan, with the first Yukio, who will come back in Deadpool 2. That movie was budgeted for $120 million, which is less than most of the X-Men proper movies. Deadpool was budgeted at less than half of that amount, at $58 million. Opening weekend. The Wolverine, budgeted at $120 million, made $53 million opening weekend. And that's okay. Not every movie is going to recoup its initial investment in the opening weekend. If it has a long tail, all is good. But Deadpool made $132 million, so it doubled its... It, it, recouped, it recouped its initial budget, made that much more in profit... And then had enough to refund everybody's movie ticket, probably. (laughs) That's an exaggeration. It made enough to recoup its budget to make profits in excess of that budget. The Wolverine 
in total made $414 million. Deadpool made 782. That is not a huge profit. <laughs> huge Ackman. 782. That's bank. In fact, Deadpool made more money than the first two X-Men movies combined. Combined. The only movie in the franchise that made more money than this one so far was Days of Future Past. Take that, Brian Singer. Opening weekend for Deadpool. Top five, Deadpool. Kung Fu Panda 3, How to Be Single. Zoolander 2, which I am realizing in real time was a real movie that happened. <laughs> and Star Wars Episode 7, The Phantom Menace. That's not a movie. <laughs> and at number five, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. And now it's time to go back to Tessa for the all-new, all-different segment. Two recs for this one. If you want a really classic comic book Deadpool fight somebody, I would recommend Deadpool versus Carnage, which is a great short collection of him going up against a baddie. I would also recommend the collection Night of the Living Deadpool, which has him fighting against zombies. You could argue that Deadpool himself is a bit of a zombie. But he's fighting against other zombies, and it's very... I know that it sounds like they just ripped off George Romero for the title, but it actually does feel like a George Romero-style zombie movie, up to and including its critiques of capitalism. Deadpool is, of course, at his quippiest and funniest here. Would recommend. Aren't there also a lot of Deadpool Spider-Man things in the comics? Aren't they, like, quote-unquote best friends, depending on which one you're talking to? Wouldn't it be really cool with Tom Holland and Ryan Reynolds if we could have a movie that was Quippy versus Thwippy? Yes, I would actually appreciate that. They're, they're friends, but the funniest part of their relationships is the way in which Deadpool is constantly mistaken for Spider-Man because Spider-Man is a much more popular character slash more well-known within the universe. So, you know. All right, it's time to dial way back down from maximum effort to very little effort. <laughs> Join us tomorrow for the next installment of the 13 Days of X-Men when we'll be talking about X-Men Apocalypse with returning guest and ex-superfan, Lazi. Watch along with us, tweet at us, email us, let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog, email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com, and visit our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. And you can find Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays and get that monkey off your back, bub. <laughs>